G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. There are three lies above all others that the devil wants you to believe. And surveys show that at least for his top of the pops, lie number one, he's being really successful at it. But what if we knew what those lies are and how to hit them out of the park? Hi, I'm Bernie Diamond and thank you so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today we're kicking off a new series of messages, one that is truly, truly so important in this day and age. It's called the Top 10 Lies the Devil Wants You to Believe. And please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you about my latest life application booklet. It's called Healing for Broken Families. And I'd love to send you a free copy in case you or someone you know has a family that's struggling. Has someone asked me the other day, with quite some scepticism in their voice, I'd have to say, you don't actually believe that there's a devil, do you? It was that kind of intimidating tone that says, if you answer yes, then you must be a blithering idiot. You know that tone, right? You don't actually believe that there is a devil, do you? And my answer to this person was, sure I do. Absolutely I do. A thousand times yes, I do. At which point the look on their face told me that as far as this person was concerned, their suspicions about me were confirmed. Yep, Bernie Diamond is a blithering idiot, a religious nut, a fundamentalist. But the reason I do believe in the devil is because Jesus believes in the devil. Here's an interesting set of statistics. The Barna Group is a highly respected research organisation in the United States. They conducted a survey on spiritual beliefs and attitudes. This is what they found. 78% of self-described Christians believe in an all-powerful God. I guess you'd kind of expect that. I would have thought it'd be higher. But 69%, almost as many, don't believe in a real personal force of evil, the devil. And a further 8% weren't sure. Add the 69% and the 8% and you get 77%. So boiling it right down to basics, about the same number of people who call themselves Christians believe in God, but don't believe in Satan or or they're not too sure. Now, I don't know where you're at. One person listening today might be a Bible-believing Christian, the next one may not. You may never once in your life have considered the possibility that Jesus is who he said he is. Wherever you are, though, Let's just look at those survey results objectively, dispassionately for a moment. Almost 80% of Christians believe in an all-powerful God, begs the question what the other 20-odd percent believed and why they called themselves Christians in the first place. Nevertheless, round the figures, 80% believe in God, almost exactly the same number don't believe in the devil or they're not sure. Today I'm kicking off a series of four messages called The Top 10 Lies the Devil Wants You to Believe. And when I was planning all that out, my first instinct was to say, look, the top line, numero uno, would have to be that God doesn't exist. But when you look at this research, 
That's not what it tells us. The top number one lie that the devil wants you and me to believe is this, that he doesn't exist. Do I find that in my Bible? Actually, I do. He makes his very first appearance in God's word pretty early on in the piece. So so when this personal force of evil appears to deceive and to tempt Adam and Eve, how does he do it? Does he rock up as a devil with horns and an evil face, dressed in, in black and red with a pitchfork in his hand, breathing fire and smoking around the edges? Does he introduce himself? Does he say, hi, Adam, hi, Eve, my name is Satan, your regular local personal force of evil, here to tempt you and lead you astray from God? Actually, no. He came disguised as something entirely else. Genesis chapter 3 Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of that tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. He came disguised as a snake. He came breathing lies, twisting what God had said to Adam and Eve. When I was in the military, one of the arts of war that they taught us was the art of deception, making things appear to be something that they weren't, so you trick your enemy for the sole purpose of defeating your enemy. When I was in the military, they taught us the art of camouflage, to hide from the enemy. In fact, the snipers took this to the nth degree. I remember once we were told that there were three snipers concealed in this small patch of forest and they told us to walk around openly and to find them. We did not find a single one of them. When the instructor told the snipers to stand up, one of them stood up within just a few feet of me. I couldn't believe it. You see, it's exactly what Satan does. If he can somehow make us believe that he doesn't exist at all, he can just sit there and take pot shots at us all day, ruining our lives. And you know, he's a very good shot. God's word even tells us that. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14 says, And no wonder, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So if you want to sneer at the notion that someone believes in the existence of the devil, go right ahead. Stand in the sniper's field of fire and let him take pot shots all he likes. Me? I'm going to do what God says. We each have our choices to make and I absolutely 1000% believe God when he says through the Apostle Paul that we shouldn't be ignorant about the designs and the deceptions of Satan so that we aren't outwitted by him. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. Or when he says through the Apostle Peter that we should keep alert because like a roaring lion, our adversary the devil prowls around looking for someone to devour. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. I guess C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia series and also a great theologian, sums it up best for me. He says, look, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our human race can fall about the devils. 
One is to disbelieve in their existence and the other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail the materialist and the magician with the same delight. Let me say it again. The reason that I believe in the existence of a personal force of evil, the devil, Satan, is because as I read my Bible, as I read what Jesus said and did, what I discover is that he clearly, clearly believes in the existence of Satan. Who am I then to disbelieve? I'm Bernie Diamond, and you're listening to Christianity Works. There's no doubt that in this postmodern, high-tech age in which we live, doing family, being family, is more difficult than it's ever been. That's why so many families are being torn apart. And that's why I'd love to send you a free copy of my latest life application booklet, Healing for Broken Families. And with the questions at the end of each chapter, you will be able to chew things over to apply God's Word right into the realities of your family's life. Because His Word is alive and active. Amen? So I'm praying that God will pour His love out right there in the middle of your family through this booklet. You can request your free copy right now. Just stop by at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415 and we'll send it straight out to you in the post. Again, that's ChristianityWorks.com or 1-300-722-415. Now, let's head back into God's Word. Have you ever found yourself doubting yourself, who you are, what you're capable of? Do you ever find yourself wondering whether God actually loves you, whether whether given the hash that you've made of things just the other day, whether he really is going to forgive you this time, whether, whether you're in the right place doing what you should be doing, whether, whether God has a plan for you, a destiny for your life? Do you ever find yourself doubting, well, you know, that list of questions, that list of doubts, I'd be so surprised if there's not at least one or two of those that didn't strike a chord with you. I heard someone say recently that these days, when it comes to God, it's not so much guilt that many people experience, it's, it's uncertainty. That makes sense because we live in a world where these days just about anything goes. So we don't experience guilt so much as the thing that ultimately convinces us that we need a relationship with Jesus. But that's been replaced with a sense of uncertainty in a world full of so many choices, in a world where indeed anything does go, in a world where we're told you can have it all. Our experience is much more of a a sense of uncertainty about our worth, about our direction, about where our life's headed, about whether God would actually ever think to forgive us. In my experience, that applies almost equally to those who don't yet know Jesus personally and those that do. That may sound a little bit odd. Shouldn't Christians be free from doubts about who they are and and where their lives are headed? You'd think so. After all, in some respects, that'd be the whole point, wouldn't it? But in my experience, many aren't. Just the other day, a woman posted this on my blog site. She said, I feel that God does not seem to want to help me for reasons that I cannot understand. I pray and I pray and I pray. And nothing ever seems to happen. I try my hardest to serve him and and to love him, but things just seem to go from bad to worse. I want victory, but I just don't know what else I'm supposed to do. God seems unpleasable. Now, okay, 
Robin was going through a really tough patch in her life. But often that's when we start questioning God. What's going on? Is there something wrong with me? Why aren't you answering my prayers? The questions go on and on. We all have them from time to time. They're quite natural, I guess. And if Satan can convince us that things aren't right with God or that God's forgotten us or, or that he's unpleasable, can you see how destructive that can be? Man, if, if Satan can sow enough doubt in someone's mind that God is just unpleasable, that we can never be worthy, that we can never match up to God's standards, then can you see how the devil wins? This is one of the huge lies he perpetrates. And actually, it's the lie that lies at the heart of Robin's problem. Her symptoms are the questions she's asking, the uncertainty she has, the anguish she's feeling. The, the pain is a symptom. It always is. It, it points to a disease. And in Robin's case, the disease is that she doesn't really know who she is in Christ. She believes in Jesus. She just doesn't know what honour and blessing and status that confers on her. If she knew that, God right there in the midst of her trials would be healing her disease. Consider this powerful truth. It's a scripture you don't often hear quoted. And yet it talks about the sharp contrast between the world's standards and God's wisdom in choosing us to be his people. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning at verse 25. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He's the source of your life in Jesus Christ, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it's written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see how Robin's operating by the world standards. Now, I'm not being critical of her at all. We all do this naturally. We all look at who we are, our circumstances, where our life's headed or, or not headed, as the case may be, and we add all of those up and decide we're a mess. We're not worth it. God, God comes along and says this, I, I don't choose you because you're some superstar. I don't, I don't choose you because you're fancy and flash and bright and noble in the world's eyes. I chose you because I love you. The world may not have chosen you. The world may think me a fool for having chosen you. But I chose you to shame and confound those who think themselves wise. I chose you, the weak, the robins of this world, to show my glory through you. And so what God's saying here, when, when people start to see the strength you have in your suffering, when you see how to overcome your suffering, other people will see my glory through you. Let me ask you something. With all the doubts and the questions and the uncertainties that perhaps you've experienced in your life, does that give a whole new perspective to what you're going through? Does that completely change things for you? God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. He chose you to be one of his people for a reason. The instant we come to grips with the truth, the truth that God is with us, the truth that we've been chosen by him, the truth that Jesus is the source of our life and our forgiveness and our right standing with God, our uncertainty, our whimpers 
turn into a boast, a boast in the Lord. Look at what Jesus has done for me. I was weak. He came into my life with strength. I was lost and now I'm found. Circumstances become irrelevant. Our failures, our weaknesses, the the apparent directionlessness of our lives, all those things become irrelevant because in Christ we have a new life. In Christ we are set free. In Christ we have a future and a hope and a solid foundation. He is the rock on which we stand. So when the devil comes sowing seeds of doubt about who we really are in Christ, we can boldly proclaim if God is for us, Who's against us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress or or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. Just as we take this short break, I'd like to remind you that if you have a prayer need, we would absolutely love to pray for you because the only sort of prayer that the Bible teaches about is the sort that has powerful results. Just let that sink in. The only sort of prayer the Bible teaches about is the sort that has powerful results. So if you'd like us to pray with you, in fact, if you'd like our whole prayer community to pray with you, stop by online at powerfulprayer.org to share your prayer request. It's completely confidential. Your name won't be displayed. And in fact, while you're there, perhaps you could also pray for one or two others and leave them a word or two of encouragement. You can be such a mighty blessing to so many others by supporting them in this way. The Bible says that the prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. So please, let us pray for you and with you and let's just see what God does how he intervenes, how he chooses to bless you. That web address again is PowerfulPrayer.org. All right, let's head back into God's Word to see what else he has for us today. Yeah, that's what the devil wants you to believe. You have blown it, buddy. And do you know the great power of this lie? Do you, do you know why it's so effective? Do you want to know why it had the power to keep me away from God for two decades of my life? Here's why. Because in actual fact, it's true. But Satan is so good at twisting truths into lies. He takes the simple truth that we will never be worthy of God's love in and of ourselves. We aren't. We've all sinned. We've all failed. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And he kicks off this marketing campaign that tells us in very clever ways that not only are we not worthy, but there's no possible way that we will ever be worthy again in our lives. And at that point, it's game over. If I sound particularly passionate about this one, it's because I am. It's because this lie kept me from having a relationship with God through Jesus Christ for a good 20 years of my life. I was totally unawares that the devil existed at all, let alone that he was behind this lie, fueling it in my heart. I couldn't face God. I I couldn't because deep down I knew that the way I was living my life didn't honour him. I absolutely knew that I had to clean up my act before I could approach God. Otherwise, well, he, he, I don't know. And that's what causes many a person never to go to God in the first place. And it causes many a person to turn their backs on God for the same reason 
because they're not worthy and they're afraid of the consequences. A few years ago, I received this email from a young man who'd listened to one of these radio programs on his radio station locally. I've kept it because what he said had a powerful impact on me. Have a listen to what he wrote. I'm only a new Christian, and I've been with the Lord probably about 10 weeks, and I'd been going great guns, and, and then I had a night when I went out drinking, and I told my friend I wasn't sure if I could be a Christian anymore. I felt so terrible about it, and I thought I'd really blown the whole thing with God. It's only when your program came on the radio tonight that I realized that that's why Jesus died for me. Thank you, God, for your grace. It was really awesome tonight. Of course it was awesome. He thought all was lost, and then he heard the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ. This young man was fed this lie by the devil because the devil knew that if he could get this guy to swallow it, He would do what he did with me for 20 years, keep him from going to God and asking for forgiveness. So what do we do with this lie? What's the answer? Do we crawl away into a corner and and hope that God doesn't notice the, the hash we've made of things? I mean, Adam and Eve tried that. They tried to run away from God and hide in the garden. When they believed the lies of the devil and they ate the fruit of that one tree, just the one that God said, don't eat from this one, their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Have you ever considered how patently ridiculous it is to try to hide from God? But but we all do it. When, When we swallow the devil's lie, why did they hide? Because they were ashamed, because they instantly knew they disobeyed God. It was just ordinary fruit in that tree, nothing special inside the fruit. The point was, the one thing that had changed was that for the first time, they were experiencing guilt. For the first time, they knew that they had disobeyed God. They had disrupted their relationship with God. And their immediate reaction, like that young man, like me, and like you, was to go and run and hide. Friend, what's the answer? The answer to this lie is knowing the truth. The answer is that the grace of God through Jesus Christ is totally, totally for me and for you. It's totally bulletproof. Have a listen. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, since we now have a complete right standing with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though maybe for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we've been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of Jesus, how much more surely, having been reconciled, will we now be saved by his life? What's all that saying? Simply this. Because Jesus died on that cross to pay for every sin, every mistake, every turning of our backs on God, large, small, past, present, future, the requirements of the inherently just nature of God have been met. And when we put our trust in Jesus and what he's done for us on that cross, 
we're forgiven by God freely. It's called grace for a reason. If we could somehow work our way into a right standing with God through our own strength and our own ability, Jesus wouldn't have had to die on that cross. But we can't. And that's why Jesus died. That's why God forgives us by grace. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, instead of crawling away and trying to hide behind the bushes, we can boast in what Jesus has done for us. While we were totally unworthy, God proved his love for us by sending Jesus to die. He didn't wait for me to sort my life out. He didn't wait for you to sort your life out because he knew that if he did that, he'd be waiting for an eternity. He proved his love for you and for me by acting before we acted. And not only have we been saved in that through the death of Jesus we're forgiven, we've been saved in that when he rose again from the grave, he gave us a completely new life. And in case it hasn't quite sunk into our hearts, let me finish with this story. The great reformer Martin Luther once dreamed a dream in which he stood on the day of judgment before God. Satan was there to accuse him. And when the books were opened, he pointed to transgression after transgression of which Luther was guilty. Luther's heart sank in despair, but then he remembered the cross. And turning upon the devil, he said, There is one entry which thou hast not made, Satan. What is that? asked the devil. It is this, answered Luther. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. That's the truth. The God honest truth. And now, as you know the truth, may the truth set you free. This Christianity Works program is sharing the powerful, practical Word of God with so many people in over 160 countries around the world. But that's only made possible through the generous support of friends just like you. Each dollar that you give today will grow to reach nearly 3,000 people with a gospel message. Incredible! That means that a gift today of just $35 can touch over 100,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to give a generous tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. Securely online at ChristianityWorks.com or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, two things. Firstly, don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I've been telling you about. It's only available for a limited time, so don't miss out. Secondly, we would love to pray for you. Absolutely. Just click on the powerful prayer tile at the bottom of the homepage. Again, that's all at ChristianityWorks.com or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415. Hey, thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. I'll catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ. taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.